Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. That's ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Again, that's ebaymotors.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, guys. It's time for the Wrestling Perspective Podcast. We are finally back. Uh, Lars, I know you were not doing anything, but I was going around music festivals, hanging out, doing some really cool stuff. I don't know what you were up to, but... uh, I absolutely had a blast. We have a huge show for episode 389. It's Impact World Champion Alex Shelley. He'll be joining us here in a few minutes. Lars, you ready for some uh, questions? We've got a new setup too, so uh, bear with us as we try to figure all this all stuff out. But uh, watch this. First- well, the, the, ex- the exciting stuff though, I mean, this is awesome just right there. Like that's fucking rad, Dennis. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm- I'm as excited as you are. Go Look at that. Got questions loaded up below so you can read them too. Yeah. That's, but then I have to break out these, buddy. Oh, I'll also read them to you, by by the way. <laughs> uh, Rick from right. Alabama, Jay Cargill, would you rather be a small fish in a big pond where, or a big fish in a small pond, WWE, AEW? What would you do if you were her? Well, the question is, is did she make the right decision? And I 100% wholeheartedly believe that she made the right decision. Um, I think that if she wants to be a professional wrestler of the highest quality, she's got to go. I mean, she's got to take what she's learned from AEW, which wasn't a lot. I mean, honestly, I think that she was a a persona. She was definitely like a, uh, she has tons of, she has, she's a star. Let's just be honest. She's a freaking star. She's a mega superstar. She has the ability to probably be a household name at some point. I I really honestly believe that about her. Um, But uh, I would say that she made the right decision because I think I I feel like any smart person, you know, just from what little I know and what little I've heard is like, you know, She's now with professionals who'll teach her actually what the job really is. It's so she she reminds me of Goldberg, where if Goldberg was open to listening and then jumped to WWE to learn more talent, that's kind of what it feels like to me. Yeah, I mean, I could say it's definitely similar, but you know, AEW, I mean, although that they now have Edge, which we'll see what happens there. Um, but you know, I have my opinions of the, of that company. I, I, it, but at the same time, like a talent like Jade Cargill, I think needs to go to the WWE to, to find, to refine her profession, her skills. All right. Uh, this comes from Alexander Paul from Minnesota. Why is it that we're starting to see a lot of bigger names pop up in NXT? Do you think they're really trying to make a statement and go after AEW? And I'm going to jump all I, over this right now. Uh, I can tell you it's for it's not AEW. If you're a wrestling podcaster and you're watching this, they don't give a fuck about AEW. It, you know what it is? Their television contracts up and they want to bump those ratings up because they want every dime they can get. What's the best way to do it? Throw John Cena on your uh, NXT show. People will tune in to watch. 
It's not a tit for tat. It's not an NXT versus AEW war. Their co- television contracts up, and what do you do? You get through every time. WWE television contract rights are almost up. You start seeing them stack one show to boost those ratings up. And that's all this is. I agree with you. I don't even think I know. I know AEW to a certain degree is on WWE's radar. But they're kind of like, I mean, AEW to the WWE. I'm sure it's kind of like a bastard stepchild. I'm sorry. It's it's two totally different spectrums of the wrestling world. You might have stars AEW, but if you think about who those stars are, they're ex WWE stars. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's kind of like, and we're also talking about guys not in their prime either. I mean, the only guy that you can really think about who's there, who's current, who's young, who's a star is MJF. You know. I mean, Chris Jericho is 50. Edge has got to be 50. Christian's 50. You know, not saying that that's old by any means or any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying for a young man's game like professional wrestling or whatever it is, yes, these guys are, are freaking professional as fuck and they're the best, some of the best in the business, but it took them 20 years to get that way. You know what I'm saying? Um, young stars, MJF, sure, but then you think about the WWE, they're young stars. Well, I mean, you can make a two-page list of the people. They have the biggest women's wrestler in the world, the best women's wrestler in the world, in Rhea Ripley. You know what I mean? Now they got Jade Cargill, who I think is going to be a superstar. They got Cody Rhodes. They got, you know, the Usos. They got Sami Zayn. They got Kevin Owens. They, I mean, it, you can't Williams. say the same about Petey Williams. <laughs> Greatest producer in the world. But if you think about the the AEW roster, guys I like there, like Darby Allen or, you know, the Guns or, you know, shit. Uh, there's so many, you know, and Juice is, is awesome. But it's like, you know, we, it's, it's, I don't know. I just don't think they're on their fucking radar. Let's see. Tony P from Lombard Street, San Francisco. I don't know if that means something for you, but uh, uh, I know you both are not fans of Meltzer, but if you had to create your own ratings, what would be what, uh, what if you had to create your own ratings on what you think a good match would be? What would be most important to you? It's not that I'm not a fan of Meltzer. OK, I used to be a wrestling uh, observer newsletter subscriber, and I was for many years. The star rating actually comes from Jim Cornette. That's actually where it comes from. So, you know, if you if you remember that long ago, that's where this whole star rating hat started was Jim Cornette and Dave Meltzer. But I would I would give the credit to Jim Cornette more than I would Dave Meltzer. That's I mean, that's just seem, how I seem to remember it. Either one of those guys could correct me and make me. Uh, and if I'm wrong, I, I think. But for me, it's it's. I mean, I think it's a lot of what goes into uh, what it is today minus I think you have to bring psychology, you have to bring storytelling, you have to bring crowd reaction, you have to be bring uh, chemistry, you have to bring uh, so many different things. If it's just a match filled with moves, then there's no story and it's all about, you know, the Instagram fucking posts and everything else. It's not, you know, the wrestling that I loved is about a battle. It's about a struggle. It's about good versus evil. It's not about you were my friend and now you're not my friend. And that's more than enough reason to fight. You know, it's I mean, that there can be aspects of that, too. But why why should I get emotionally invested into something when you haven't even told me why I should be emotionally invested? So I feel like it needs that. Also. I kind of agree with you. Uh, when I watch a match, I don't go, wow, this match is crap because that guy did not perform a Hurricane perfect. Or that wasn't, you know, I it, if that crowd eats it up, I can forgive a match that doesn't have acrobatics in it. I don't need to be watching a bunch of gymnasts flip around in a ring. You tell me a solid story that keeps me invested. That's That, is, that match to me is way better than any... Uh, expedition expedition uh but you know a a match full of uh, flippy moves and and whatnot exhibition but, yeah 
Thank you. Exhibition. Well, and here's the thing. You know, the reason why the fucking Meltzer star rating is a fucking joke now is because, you know, he's friends with all these guys. He's given how the fuck. Kenny Omega and fucking John Moxley get more five star matches than Ric Flair or fucking Ricky Steamboat or Macho Man Randy Savage. It's like it's fucking dumbfounding to me. So it's like you can already see that it's biased. So right then and there, it's like Fox News or CNN or something like that. You already know that they're spinning a fucking, um, you know, their fucking narrative. And it's it's ridiculous. So how do you take a guy seriously? be i think to some degree was taken seriously and now it's he's a fucking parody of himself i'm sorry i don't know him that much personally i've had a few run-ins with him you know i think me and punker were sitting at his seats at new japan pro wrestling and he was he was too scared to come and tell us to get out of his seats but my point is is that it's like it's not that i you know i just think it's ridiculous because it's 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 fucking so biased it's it's stupid it's like and if you can't see that or if you don't know that that's totally fine but that's where i my beef is with 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 him mostly you know not that i know him or give a fuck you know i don't give a shit anyway fuck it all right. Well, listen, guys, a wrestling perspective I do like that. at gmail.com. Get your emails in, be heard. We will love your hot takes and you know your biased opinions or whatever the fuck you think you know about wrestling. We'll be there to listen. But you know what you don't do? You don't leave a champion on hold. So when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. We'll say our hellos off the air with them. You don't keep a champion rate waiting, Lars. So we will be bringing on Alex Shelley here on episode 389. That's your thing, by the way. I love it. I love it. The 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 number system so uh wrestling perspective we will be uh right back as promised we're back we're back with a champion uh it's not me and my fantasy football championship it's not lars it's alex shelley alex uh thank you first time guest we've had saban on a handful of times so it's about time we got you on oh that's awesome did you pick the lions a lot of lions players in your fantasy league Sadly, I did. I actually named my team Detroit Lions. Uh, Eric Kramer is still my fantasy quarterback. Oh, oh wow. Is Wayne Fodd still your fantasy coach? He is, believe it or not. Yes, yes. I, uh, oh. I'm i really excited. I've gotten all third string uh, Lions ride receivers from the 90s, so I can't wait to play. You should do great. Yeah, at least I'm not the Vegas uh, Raiders. Uh, don't yeah. blow me. Fucking blow me. Fucking uh, blow me. Yeah, listen, for years, we've been using Chris Saban to try to get to you, and it hasn't worked. So we had to go over his head. So unfortunately, Saban's now out now that we have direct contact with you. He has been banned from the show from here on out. So it just went through Lars like directly, and it would have been easy peasy, you know? Lars, goddamn you. That's bullshit, man. Well, you know what? We got him now. Let's get on with the fucking show. You guys quit talking about fucking football because this is the wrestling perspective. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I'll start this off, and I don't know if this is a softball ball, uh, question or not, but for many years, you know, you went back to school. You've kind of disappeared from the wrestling scene, and I kind of felt like your career was all but over, right? Uh, m- maybe you lost the passion. Maybe your focus was somewhere else, but you, you, you were focusing on – on wrestling, maybe I think you had a new puppy at some point. Um, I'm just kind of touching on what I think I know about you. Um, and now here you are, Impact World Champion. Uh, can can you talk a little bit about that transition from uh, student Alex Shelley into professional wrestler Alex Shelley again? I'd be happy to. Uh, you have to understand that when I started, it was in 2002, and there just weren't that many options for pro wrestlers to make a living. WWE was at TNA was coming up, but it wasn't fully established. It certainly wouldn't reach the heights that it once did. So for probably the first six to seven years of my career, uh, I loved wrestling, and I still love wrestling. I always loved wrestling, but I made sure that I breathed wrestling and ate it and sleeped it and all of it. The way the business was in 2008, 2009, it seemed to me that there was a certain plateau that a lot of guys were going to hit. And I'm not somebody who 
can put all my eggs in one basket and see something like that that coming then and also be content with it like i'm not a type of person who likes to complain i'm not a type of person who likes to be still i'm not the type of person who uh is not going to do something to help their situation. So I actually went back to school the first time and got my business bachelor's degree with an HR concentration in 2009 to 2012 while I was working for TNA. And the business changed so radically just in those three years. And I was so confident that I made the right decision. 11, I saw so many of my friends leave the company. Uh, Amazing Red, the Young Bucks, Spanky left. Uh, Okada was not being used for like two years straight. And it was a really, really trying time. Saban got hurt. Jay Lethal was gone. Uh, Sanjay Dutt and Petey were long since gone. And I thought, this company doesn't see me the same way I see myself as, as a pro wrestler. So I have this contingency plan in place and i finished 2012 and that's when i went to new japan and i was there for three years and there are three amazing years at the end of the day though i think it's important to realize that no matter how well a foreigner does and there are a couple exceptions to this kenny omega being one you guys were talking about him earlier uh chris brooks is kind of like a and you have to understand that you are not japanese therefore in most cases you will be pushed to a certain level of the language, they can only build so much around you. So I learned as much as I could about wrestling over there. And that 13 years of my career was, okay, let's learn as much as we can in all these different parts of the world. And I was lucky enough to wrestle Robbie Brookside in Hanover, Germany, in the main event, 10 rounds, European rounds. I was lucky enough to uh, win the Torneo Cibernetico in Arena Mexico and CMLL in 2008. I was lucky enough to main event Corkin Hall with Chris Sabin in 2006 when we formed the Machine Guns. I had wrestled in the Tokyo Dome multiple times. So I'd done all these things. And at that point in time, Ring of Honor had a relationship with New Japan. And I was basically traded to Ring of Honor. And at that point in time, I went back to school for physical therapy. I did that for about four years. Uh, along the way, I think I started to focus more and more on PT and less on wrestling. And the way Ring of Honor was at the time, you really didn't wrestle more than maybe, maybe 50 matches a year because you were under contract. So they wouldn't allow you to work domestically uh, for any independence. You had to work internationally. You could work in the UK, you could work in Japan, but you could not work domestically. And what I realized was that within that time frame, I actually missed like a whole generation of talents, but I'll get to that in a second. Eventually 2018 rolls around. My contract finishes with ring of honor. It's done. Okay. And I had offers from other companies along the way, but ring of honor was going to be the one that was going to support me as I went through schooling. And they did. So now it's time for clinical rotations. I put myself out there and did 40 hours a week for about uh, seven months or so, because that's what you have to do to graduate. Studied for my boards and passed them. And at that point in time, like life just kicked me in the teeth. It was, I left Ring of Honor. So I'm kind of losing my identity as a pro wrestler. But on top of that, I ended up going through a divorce, which, gosh, man, it was one in two, 50% failure rate before the pandemic and up to 75%. So three out of four marriages still. And that's mind blowing. Also living uh, far away from home because I had this clinical rotation at a hospital that wasn't local. So I wasn't at home. Um, I knew I was going to have to sell my house. I knew I was not going to see a bunch of my pets again. And I knew that I was basically going to have to start from scratch. And I did that. So step one, pass my boards, get a job in physical therapy. And now we're at early 2019. Step two, come back to wrestling. And the perspective that I gained from working in medicine was so invaluable because I worked in outpatient I worked in inpatient. I worked everywhere in between. And what I saw were people who would give everything they owned. And some of these people were very well off simply to get up and go to the bathroom on their own, simply to walk their dog around the block. And appreciating the function that I had, I thought, oh, my God, you know, I want to go back to wrestling. Like, I, this is what I think I'm probably meant to do. 
and I really miss it and I love it. And if I go back now, I feel like I'll have such a different viewpoint on it that I'll be able to succeed in different ways. So I went back in 2019 and I didn't have a job waiting for me, at least not one that I wanted. So I had to start from scratch. I had to literally take independent bookings and work my way up. And I was happy to do that because at this point, it's not a job anymore. It's me enjoying the process. And that's how you can create sustainable habits for the rest of your life. You have to enjoy what you're doing. So I grinded and I grinded and I grinded. And to make a long story short, because I feel like I've already rambled on for too long and I'm sorry about that, but I had all these opportunities come my way and it was because I was wrestling. I treated wrestling not like a job, not like an obligation, not something that's a duty even, but more so this is something I get to do is absolutely miraculous. A lot of those people I was talking about, the reason they can't walk anymore, the reason they can't bend over, the reason they can't do a squat isn't because of anything they did. It's because they got sick with some very rare condition. It's because they got rear-ended sitting at a stoplight. I had one patient who when COVID started, he uh, was working at a Tim Hortons when they lifted restrictions a little bit and a car ran through the wall. Like you don't know when your time's up. Right. And that basically led me to working harder and harder and harder. Eventually 2022 came around and this is going to sound ridiculous. And I know it's somewhat unbelievable, but I swear to God it happened. I lived it. Um, I had eight days off in 2022, eight, eight. Every other day was filled with physical therapy, travel, or pro wrestling, and I wrestled over 100 matches that year. So eventually, when 2023 came around, I told Impact Wrestling that I was going to look for a contract, and they were kind enough to offer me one that I really, really liked. Um, of course, you explore every avenue, but Impact seemed like the right place for me at the time, and I signed a full-time contract there in March. And, oh, my God, you guys, quitting that job, and it was a job I loved, but quitting that job just felt so awesome. I can't put it into words. So it's almost like I got a second lease on life. And my TED talk, sorry. That's okay. Well, I'm just wondering is if, if in that divorce, did your wife take the internet too? Because <laughs> you were cutting in and out something fierce. And, I, and I'm a little worried about this. Can we pause this real fast? Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's super crazy. Uh, we've all been through divorces here. Oh, yeah, good. No, absolutely. Welcome, brethren. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've had two. Well, you know, and I was started thinking about your career because, you know, here you are, Impact World Heavyweight Champion. But how we would know you, I mean, honestly, is through the tag team division. Like, that's really kind of like where you guys, Motor, Sh Motor City Machine Guns, made such a big impact. I mean, at one point, I would say, you know, probably the most influential tag team that was out there. I mean, I feel like more so than the Young Bucks, more so than FTR. I mean, you guys brought that modern sort of style still, but with the psychology and the storytelling that a lot of, you know, the newer tag teams just totally just ignored. Um, and uh, for me, it was, it was more of a throwback to, uh, to teams like the Midnight Express or the Rock and Roll Express, you know, in, but you guys took it and then made it your own you know what i'm saying like you 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 brought it into the modern era so you know obviously you know sometimes we, we brought tag teams on here and you know or guys that, that predominantly were known for tag teams and they've always wanted to be singles wrestlers was that the case for you ah no and that's a good question too uh also you're dead to rights on it was 100% a modern incarnation, or at least our, our take on us doing the best Midnight Express impersonation we could. Um, those teams, to me, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but the 1980s tag teams are the best. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Nobody can touch that, in my opinion. Uh, the, the wheel hadn't even been invented, right? Like, they were the originators. Right. So build on what they did is one thing, but they had to kind of build the foundation first. As far as being a singles wrestler goes, uh, it's interesting. Like there was a point where I really, really wanted to be a tag team wrestler uh, for the first few years of the Motor City Machine Guns. Like we were gung ho, like we can change tag team wrestling. We can do better as a team. 
And certainly that was the case with the time splitters in New Japan too, because mm-hmm. I thought I can introduce style into this company. I can show them how my view of tag team wrestling uh, looks. And eventually that did happen, especially when the Young Bucks joined the company too. But what really, really hammered home me being comfortable as a singles wrestler was again, necessity. When I came back in 2019, I was a singles wrestler. There was no tag team partner. So that was how I was going to be booked. That was the spot that was open. And I had to get good at that. And it took time too, because it was almost like learning how to walk again. You know, you're in tag team matches for so long. It's a totally different style. It's a different art form. Mm -hmm. And I think by the time I had my first singles match back, and that was against Matt Taven in August of 2019 for the title, I don't think I had had a singles match in probably three and a half or four years at that point, which is a long time, right? Because it's a totally different level of thinking and conditioning. So for me to be world champion now, it really, really took some effort on my end to get good at the singles matches. And again, that's where the independence came in, man. Like before I became impact world champion, I was revolver remix champion. I was prestige world champion. Uh, I was IWTV world heavyweight champion. So I had to cut my teeth again. And then I got, I, I would say pretty good at it. Was, was there a level of you? I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it jealousy or a motivation, but here you are having to start back at the very bottom of the rung while all of your friends are producers in impact wrestling at WWE producers here and there. And here you are having to start back at the bottom. Yeah, without a doubt there was, man. Especially because, like, AEW was just starting or had just formed. And again, like, let's look at 2018, 2019. Everybody's under a contract. Like, everybody, right? And it's like, what the fuck did I do wrong? And (laughs) again, a totally different perspective that I had to utilize here. But when you go through so many life changes, I went to a mental health therapist and I'm proud to say that. And I did really well there. I went once a week for six months and I realized, wait a second, these are butterfly effects of decisions that I chose. I chose to go to school two times and get two bachelor's degrees, right? Like this was something I did. You can't have it all. You can only be in so many places at once. So I thought, okay, if this is a goal of mine, then I want to work towards it. If I want to have a contract in wrestling or make a living in wrestling or make money in wrestling and have these awesome matches again, then do it, dude. But you got to work at it and you got to hit a home run every time you step up to the plate. So for me, it was a labor of love. Like I was happy to do that and prove it over and over and over and over again. And I'm doing it with that generation that I miss completely. The ones that I told you about from like 2015 to 2018, 2019, guys that are on the independents like, Where in the hell did you come from? Oh, that's right. I was under contract for three, three and a half, four years. That's when you were coming up. So it was these fresh opponents. And it was the first time I actually heard, man, I grew up watching you. Or I've watched so many of your matches. This is really cool for me to wrestle against you. And I thought, well, fuck, man. It's really cool for me to wrestle against you because you said that. Like, let's let's make magic here. Let's dance. And um, I think that, like, just kind of sheer jubilation, like the pure joy of it is kind of what carried me through the first um, like year and a half, two years there. You know, one of the things I've been noticing in professional wrestling these days, and it's not all companies, it's it's a few in particular. And it's something I wanted to point out because I know you've had extensive experience in Japan. And uh, because I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like the psychology, the physicality of the struggle in matches in Japan is, is probably the most important part of it. You know, obviously there's physicality and things like that. Um, you know, one of the things that you see a lot and you, maybe you saw 20 years ago and it worked is when you sit in the middle of the ring and chop the shit out of each other and trade blows. And that now it seems like every fucking match you see, there's this spot. And I know it happened in Japan 25 years ago, but what, in your opinion, you think that takes you out because what it does for me and this this is just like kind of a, a a fan talking to another fan kind of question maybe it takes me out of the fucking match because it's the most unbelievable fucking thing like when it happened 20 years ago and it was the first time i saw it i was like oh yeah 
badass, right? Now it's every fucking match and every guy does it. Yeah. So now if somebody comes to you and says, let's do this spot, do you, do you carry on with that? Or are you kind of go, yeah, this will work here. Or does it, does it need to make sense for you in order to do something like this, this Japanese style brought now to America? That's a good question. So I think the first time I saw it myself, uh, I was a kid. I was 21 years old and I was already touring Japan. I was in a company called Zero One Max, which at the time was still a pretty notable company. And yeah. Noah was the top company at that point. They were doing the best business and they ran the Tokyo Dome. And that summer, I remember watching the Dome show. A fan gave me a DVD of it. And it was Kensuke Sasaki against Kensuke Kabashi. And they just chopped oh, yeah. piss out of each other, right? Just wham, wham, back and forth. And it's like, holy shit, man, this is fucking sweet. Like, somebody's going to give. Eventually, this is going to go, right? And that was kind of the allure of it, you know? It's like, who's who's going to give up first, right? Like, somebody's going to have to succumb. Somebody will not throw a chop at some point this exchange. And I think they ended up throwing, like, at least 50 each. And it went on for a while. And it... It was so goddamn hot. So the sweat's just flying off. I mean, it's like, this is so cool. But if we're really going to pull back layers of pro wrestling and kind of talk about mechanics, which I love to do, there's certain tropes that are so commonly used in pro wrestling nowadays. And you guys see them just the same way I do, right? And it's almost become the equivalent of like the 80s slasher movie, like the cute girl in the party. Let me go check that out alone in the basement. Like, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> Right? There's like no guesswork. There's no mystique. It's like, oh, you're done, you know? So I encourage my students, and I've got quite a few of them. One of my positions at Impact is as a mechanics coach, and um, I've got a handful of people there. I teach these classes before every show, but there's there's a bunch of guys on the independents who I help out, and you know, I've got all these group texts floating around, and I always encourage them to think differently, and I simply have to ask them, guys, what is for sure going to be done on this show. And they already have their answers. They know because they've been doing these independent shows, right? It's like, you will for sure see, to name a few, really, truly, on any independent show, you will for sure see a dive out of the ring and it will be a tope through the middle and the top. You will for sure see a pump kick. You will definitely see a Canadian destroyer. You'll probably see that. <laughs> right? It's like, if you're doing any of these things, we should probably think how you can be more different. It's almost like low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. And to a point it's, it's cool. Like it is cool, but you know, I think one of the most important things you can do is take a non wrestling fan to a show, take a non wrestling fan to a show. And I'm talking to people who don't even know why they're counting to three. They don't know rope breaks, none of that. Right. You do that. You see what they come away saying about some of these spots because they don't know what the fuck happened on a standing Spanish fly. They don't know who got hurt. They don't know why people would sit there and just hammer each other back and forth. It makes no sense, right? To them, there's always a time and a place for everything. And wrestling is awesome because it is very much a subjective business, not necessarily objective. So you're in charge of your own art form. When the bell rings, that's you. You can kind of do whatever you want to a point. But at the same time, yeah, I'm with you, dude. Like, I will absolutely disconnect. If I glance up and I see that happening, it's like, oh, that, that took no thought. You know what I mean? It's like mm, cutting a promo and just swearing excessively. It's just something that's kind of like cheap to a point. Is it awesome if it's placed right? No doubt it is. Like, there is definitely a time and a place for it. But at the same time, I made my career 100% on being different. And different is what got me to the dance. Therefore, if I know that there's things that are for sure going to be done on shows, man, I'm out. I ain't going to do them. I'm going to try and avoid them as much as possible, at least. Well, you know, and that's one of the things I'm sorry to cut, cut Dennis. I know it's your time, but I, there's something else I wanted to point out because, you know, I saw you a few times when you came out and did West coast pro and your match definitely was, I mean, those shows are, are great because, you know, if something happens in one match, it never happens again in another match. But I noticed with your singles matches, you know, because you're obviously in the in the you know process of coming back or whatever, those were the most unique matches. Those were the most psych psychological. But then I think about like what you were talking about, how you know injuries and 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 the da the danger of it all. And we take a, a match like with Ray Phoenix and John Moxley, where 
you know, Moxie's out cold within the first 15 seconds, right? And then Phoenix drops him on his head, not once again, but twice. And then the referee fucks it up and doesn't count all the way through. And the, and the crowd sees, you know, because the, cur- the curtain now is pulled back and it's, t- you know, and the crowd's like, what the fuck, right? So it's like, look at all those things the injuries right and and the and uh obviously i mean could would you say uh was that you know whose fault is that at that point now is it is it you know is it the ref's fault because he doesn't count to three even though moxie can't obviously he's fucking he's done right he can't kick out of this move is it phoenix's fault for injuring him three times is it moxie's fault for continuing or not you know because obviously he's out of his mind it's like what do you do in those is there is there is there blame to lay anywhere is there fault on anybody uh is, is there anything is there something that you should be doing in that when something like that happens as a pro wrestler of referee or your opponent that you're supposed to do good question so in my opinion uh i don't think it's any of the people that you mentioned um as far as their fault i, I wouldn't say it's their fault it's obviously miscommunication, right? Like something should have happened well before anybody has a chance to make a TBI worse. The, the scary thing about traumatic brain injuries is like, you don't know how bad they are until way, way, way after the fact. Like people can get these injuries and your brain is basically bleeding. Like for lack of a better term, yeah. you've ripped through matter, your brain is bleeding. You don't know what the effects of that are going to be because there's so much going on north of the neck, right? I've had people who have had um, TBIs and they might seem minor at first or at first the symptoms weren't that bad. Then they magnified. These people are dealing with these things for the rest of their life too. So I didn't see the incident that happened, but people at Impact were talking about it too. Is like, I'm sure people in every company were because that can happen to anybody. It's good for them to talk about this too. If it's me and that happens to somebody I'm wrestling, I'm not touching them. I don't care what anybody says. I'm hands off, man. Like that's it, right? That's it. But what I think could be really, really useful and AEW actually has the resources to do it. So does WWE impact could as well is something called a concussion spotter. And they started using these in all the major sports leagues. So you actually have people whose job it is to watch the NHL and just monitor hits. And it's going to be a lot harder in pro wrestling, right? Because we're such good actors as it were. But some of these things you can tell right away. If you know what a flexion synergy is, or when you see something that looks like anesthesia on one side of the body. I mean, there are signs of like traumatic brain injury, like certain types of motor coordination will go out the window. Certain types of things will happen in the body and they'll lock up, right? It'd be awesome to have somebody doing that. And if that's not the case, then it's good to at least educate the people who are in the back on headsets to make sure that they know all these things. And again, I don't think this is anybody's fault. I think it's a really type of like an aberrant of a situation that this occurred. Um, But I think that would be amazing to have. And again, Chris Nowinski is kind enough to go around to all the major companies. We just had him at Impact in January, December, maybe. And he gave a full-on presentation, does it? And I guess he's done them yearly at certain places. Uh, Heath Slater had said that this is like the sixth one he's seen or something along those lines. It's a contact sport, though. Like, things are going to happen, and this is human error. And again, I don't think blame should be placed on anyone, but let's see what we can change about this so that going forward... This well, well, hold on. I mean, the, yep. okay. So I understand maybe no blame, but we're talking about, uh, you know, you basically just said if somebody's injured, you're not touching them, yep. right? So why is Moxie then picked up a second time, and the same move with the same injury happens right. yet again? Right. So, wh- what is it like? Is that a communication problem? between and I know this is a few weeks ago and we're sort of like you know but you're we're talking to somebody who's got a couple bachelors of physical health yep. also a professional wrestler so I, I got it so I'm I got you where I want you so this is why why I'm asking these questions why isn't he just being left alone why does he tell Phoenix to, to pick him back up or to do something or to go home because obviously the referee doesn't know what the fuck he's doing because he doesn't even count the three when Moxie's not even kicking out, right? He's confused. There's no communication there. So, I mean, you know, I know you haven't seen it, but, and 
I know you said that there's no blame, but what the fuck happens? How does this shit happen? Yeah, I think it's a perfect storm, man. I wish I had a better answer for you. Again, I can tell you what I would do in that situation, but man, maybe Moxley didn't think it was that bad. I don't know. Maybe Phoenix couldn't understand him. English is a second language. I, there's a million things that can go wrong. And I think, again, that's why you have to have that third party in the back who can spot the signs and say, that's it. That's it. Don't touch him. Leave him alone. But again, it's human error, dude. Like, there's always going to be shit that goes wrong in pro wrestling. This is one of those unfortunate situations. I can tell you what I would do if it were me. Um, I can definitely tell you that there are probably people at impact who do keep an eye on these types of things. Like don't touch them, leave them alone. We've been told specifically and explicitly like, do not, if you feel like you're concussed, like that's it, you're done. And honestly, like what else would you expect from pro wrestling, right? Like sometimes people get knocked out in fights. It happens all the time, man, in mixed martial arts and boxing. But again, I can't say I know enough about the situation to give you anything else than what I would do in that moment. I'm sure, I'm sure, given how well they take care of their athletes, because I was in AEW for like just a hot second they have a whole medical team back there, athletic trainer, MD. I mean, they're bringing you electrolytes after the match. They want you to be healthy. So they do a really, really good job of that. It's just oversight. And again, sometimes, and it's unfortunate that it was this situation, but you have to make the mistakes so that you can do better going forward. It's right, like, right, right. like you have to have a fuck up in order to look at the formula and, okay, I should have added instead of subtracted. I, I imagine that'll be the case. I'm sure they won't want to allow this to happen again. Well, I want to go back to what I will call your redemption story, climb to the top. And you're in impact where you belong at home. Uh, Sammy Callahan is gone. There's a door opening for a locker room leader. What in your mind, if you're not there now, do you have to do being the champ to step into that leadership role? Because there was no secret. He is kind of one of the longest you know, running characters there. It was his locker room. He's gone now. Uh, there's a vacancy in, in this company that desperately, I don't want to say desperately, but I, in the past has lacked that leadership. What do you have to do if you even want that role to step in and do it? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, first of all, I'm going to be sad to see Sammy go, but <clears throat> to your end, I think it's actually a little more hive mind than you might think. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, the locker room leaders, and I can definitely tell you who they are. A lot of them are the guys who were in impact 20 years ago. And that could be people in management, but there's a handful of active wrestlers too, right? So people will come to me for advice, but they'll also go to Saban. They'll also go to Frankie Kazarian. They'll also go to Eric Young. On top of that, some of those people have obviously stepped up and become leaders themselves like a Josh Alexander, like a Jordan Grace. And then you have people who have been there maybe after I left, but man, they've been the backbone of the company like Eddie Edwards. So what you've got really is a very like homogenous roster at this point. I can say that it's probably the most closely knit roster that I've ever been a part of. And that's an absolute truth. That includes all the companies in Japan. A lot of times in Japan, because Kayfabe's still alive and well, you have people who kind of stick to their own groups and they have to. Here, it's like anybody could be with anybody at any time. And it's pretty good relations, man. Like everybody's friends. And I think that's one of the benefits of having like a smaller shop is everybody works in close proximity together rather than having a company that's got a myriad of all these different shows and divisions or even a developmental and people don't are you i'm sorry were you finished no i think he's frozen oh, is he frozen oh i can still hear you okay, okay. Yeah, you, froze sorry, pretty, you became yeah. a gift on us oh yeah. sorry i was about to make a meme out of you yeah <laughs> a meme oh. But um, please continue. Go ahead, go ahead. No, that's it. That, that was it, honestly. Did you get all that, we, though? Yeah, 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 we did. We did. Okay. We can edit. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, so here you are. Back, you're in impact. Uh, you know, do they tell you, like, as you were coming back in, we got plans for you, Alex. You're going to be 
the world champion at some point. A, B, and C needs to line up because I know Impact. What I do love about that promotion in particular is the stories and how the stories intertwine. And there's always a reason. And 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 I gotta hand it to that company as far as storytelling goes, or linking certain things, or things making sense. Maybe six months later, it always happens. It, it, and and I got it. So my hat is off. To impact wrestling that's why i think it's one of the best wrestling shows period um do they are when you come back in do they got plans for you is this something that comes out of left field um you know i understand that you've held you know heavyweight titles in different promotions i get all that but to the mainstream crowd we know you as a machine gun right so is this something that's planned in the past and, and now it's come to fruition or is this something that just happens by chance or, you know, is it something that we've always known coming in? Right. Right. I think what happened was, and this is me hazarding a guess. I can't give you the full story, but I can tell you how not that you don't, not that you don't deserve it. I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from you. That's okay. Um, I really think the way it ended up working out was I came back in 2021. I had to take about uh, maybe like six months off because I was working in healthcare and this is during a pretty high point with COVID. So for me to keep my job and I was not under contract anywhere, I was talking to different companies about it, but I wasn't under contract anywhere. I had to get vaccinated and that took a time, right? for that to roll out, even for medical professionals. So I didn't come back to wrestling after I got vaccinated until the fall of 2021. And then I came back to Impact in the spring of 2022. And I was there for about a year before I signed a contract, but I think they were just really happy with my work, to be honest with you. I think they were just like, wow, we've got a really good product here. And that's what wrestlers are. We're products, right? Uh, and I was doing probably at least 50% singles matches and then maybe the other half. Right. So they saw some capability of having these long drawn out singles matches. Um, I think what really kind of pushed it over the edge though, if I had to make a guess was uh, about a year ago or so I wrestled Josh Alexander for the heavyweight title mm -hmm. in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I think the build up to that with the promos and then the match itself was like, wow, this could have went either way. And people would have been pretty happy with it. And he was their top yeah. guy. And I think that was where it's like, hmm, yeah, Alex Shelley could be world champion, especially in this company, right? Like everybody's kind of said that for years. Oh, man, you should have had the singles run or you could have been world champion. It's like, oh, yeah, maybe, whatever. I don't think about those things. I just do the best with whatever gets put in front of me. But part of the problem was that I wasn't under contract. You cannot possibly, if we're going to really look at like from a backstage point of view, put your heavyweight title on somebody who's not under contract. I'm still working right, for right. a week in PT. I'm still doing two or three indie shows a weekend. Um, and it wasn't that I didn't want to be under contract, but there were certain benchmarks in my life that I wanted to hit along the way, right? Like I wanted to finish a certain amount of time in physical therapy uh, for a number of reasons, like continuing education credits. I wanted to get my certified strength and conditioning coach license. That took a full year to study for and then take that exam. That's a really brutal exam. You have to have a bachelor's to just sit for it. And eventually I waited until Saban's contract was up too, so we could negotiate as a team. That was just leverage, you know, so I had to kind of bite my tongue for a little while. And then eventually when I signed no, I had no idea. I had no idea what was going to happen. I just knew, okay, I'm full-time at Impact. Impact gets my full attention. I'm going to do everything I can to help this company, which I was already doing, to be honest with you. Um, but now it's like, cool, I can quit my 40-hour-a-week physical therapy job on top of it. So ultimately, though, the answer to your question, I had no idea what was coming. And I don't know that even if I did have an idea of what was coming, that it would have made me do anything differently. Um, I'm somebody who like to think too far in advance, especially like with pro wrestling, as you guys know, like card subject to change always. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. People have plans and then like they're out the window. Something happens, somebody gets hurt, life happens, uh management changes. I mean, I've seen it all, dude. Like I've been in this game for 20 years. So I've seen so many things happen to people who were supposed to get something or supposed to be something. And it just doesn't happen. And it goes the other way too. I've seen people who 
just came out of nowhere or like suddenly showed something to somebody that they didn't think this person had in them. And suddenly they're like a top name or a draw, you know? So I don't worry about that one iota. I mean, it's, it's kind of short sighted in a way, but I think it works better for me. Otherwise I would wind up too much and like try and get anxious about it. And, you know, that I don't need all that. So you just give me the opportunity and then I'll do my best. But knowing in short durations, like a week or two in advance is like best for me. I, I know we're about to wrap this up and I kind of want to dive into fan reactions when you became champion, because you're a guy who uh, has protected his legacy with some of the best out there. Some guys go out there willy nilly. Other guys are like, you know what? I I've worked hard. Please recognize that you're a guy that wins a championship. All of a sudden fans are calling you placeholder, which I hate that term in wrestling for any kind of champion, which is just the biggest slap in the face that anybody who's gotten to the top and has earned it gets. Uh, I, you know, you, you, you've been pretty cool about that, but in all honesty, come on, you've earned it. You've worked your ass off. When someone calls you a, a placeholder champion, don't you, does that kind of piss you off a little bit? Like, what the fuck do else do I have to do to get everybody's respect? Oh, no, man. It really doesn't. Come on, that, don't lie to me. We're friends now. We're <laughs> best friends. It it really doesn't because, like, what am I going to do differently? Like, what am I really going to do differently to prove to somebody that I'm not a placeholder? Am I going to wrestle differently? Am I going to train differently? Am I going to think differently? Them. You don't care. You know, it's like I'm living life <laughs> my eyes, man. I I can only do so much, right? I, I came to this conclusion a long time ago when I got divorced and um, I went through all these life changes and I had to work my way back into wrestling. It's like the only thing you can possibly do is your best. That's it. Like you have nothing more to give. If you're honestly doing the best you absolutely can, that's good enough, man. If some people don't like it, that's okay. I mean, shit, bro, we're Lions fans. Like we're used to losing, right? Like we live in Detroit. I mean, Detroit's like a city known for losing, not just <laughs> economically, right? Like, hey, this is a rough place to grow up in a lot of ways. It's like 2008 when everybody lost their fucking jobs, you know? It was just like a miserable place to be. So it's like you can only roll with the punches. You just got to, like, carry on. Like, face it head on. What else can you do, really? So, no, it doesn't bother me. I mean, the longer you hold a belt, I suppose, the more that stigma would go away and, like, I've defended it a handful of times, but shit, dude. Like, I don't know what more fans would want, but I'm happy to try and give it to them anyway. Well, you know what? I, I love having guys with the amount of experience on this show that you like guys like you who've been through a few different decades of professional wrestling. And as we know, the shit always is changing, right? Big news this week. And or the last couple of weeks is Jade Cargill, Cargill has now signed a developmental deal or not a developmental deal, but a deal with the WWE, right? And we all know her from AEW. And we saw how she was used and we saw how she left. But you as a 20-year veteran plus, seeing somebody like her, in my opinion, and this is, you know, just my opinion, is a superstar. Now, would you say that she's made the right decision? And I'm, and, and I'm not saying she made the right decision for her. I don't want to hear none of that bullshit. I want to know from a, a professional's perspective, because this is the wrestling perspective. And Alex, you've been in the ring with all kinds of motherfuckers. I'm serious. Like you've been in with some of the best, right? And you see a talent like her. Do you think that she made the right decision by, by leaving that company and going to uh, some would might say a more professional based uh, place for her to be. That's a good question. Um, I'm not that familiar with her, but I do know who she is, of course. Uh, and that's obviously like her prerogative, but I would say this, I've had a lot of mentors in this business, a lot of really, really awesome mentors. And some of these guys are never going to work with the younger generation hands on again, because they're just not doing that anymore. Right. Like I was trained by Sabu in part. Uh, right. Mick took me under his wing. Like these guys aren't around to do that for people anymore. One of my mentors was Kevin Nash, probably the most influential right. like thinking. And he told me this, he said, you have to make sure 
that what you are doing is something you believe in and that you're having fun. That's how we made money with the NWO. That's how we got Hogan on board. That's what we did when we got to WCW and that turned that company around. And if you actually look at a lot of these things that him and Scott Hall had done, they were simply entertaining each other, but it's like, wow, man, these guys are having the time of their life. So what I can say as it really didn't feel like she was in the moment and vibing with what she was doing, then you've got to make a change. And going to a new company is as good a change as any. She's going to be looked after there and trained by some of the best. I've got a lot of friends who are coaches there. I'm sure they're very excited to work with her. Hopefully that translates, right? Because I think fans can see through the bullshit, man. I think they can see through you being miserable. If you're not happy in life, I think that projects in the ring. I think you can tell in people's wrestling, in their demeanor, how they carry themselves. And consequently, I think you can also tell a superstar because they love what they're fucking doing, right? Like they enjoy every second of them being in front of the cameras or in the squared circle. So hopefully that's her situation going forward. If it wasn't before. I got to tell you, uh, I'm super excited that you are now been on the show hopefully you'll be on it more we're only a what a brock throw from each other we're probably going to be best friends now uh you know one of us is moving in you'll be the godfather to my 15 year old daughter at this point uh i don't know if she needs one but you you can have it at this I'll, but you know what fuck pd pd's out yeah. you're in see you pd whoa yeah whoa I he's That's canadian right. i don't even fucking like canadians <laughs> oh shit yeah Oh, you just found out he was Canadian? (laughs) Surprise, spoiler alert. Yeah, he's Canadian. I always always thought Canadians were taller anyway. (laughs) Oh, man. There's there's always one that doesn't make it out over, what, six foot and plays hockey. Yeah, no shit. We can't all be. I was just just hoping he'd be taller than 5'5". But anyway, (laughs) uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love Petey. Shelly. Well, Petey. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, where can people find you, Shelly? Oh, I have an Instagram and Twitter, uh, at AlexShelly313. I had to I had to change the usernames, guys. I mean, they were they were Rick Froberg song titles, and I'm like, ah, this isn't that professional anymore. Like, people are not going to know who the fuck I am. So, at AlexShelly313 on Instagram, at AlexShelly313 on X. All right. What's your address? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I guess I'll have to keep waiting. All right, uh, uh, Lars. I'm stoked. I'm, I'm actually super stoked to get you here. Anybody who comes to the ring to Iggy Pop. Oh, there we go. Or the Stooges, you know what I mean? So I love how Detroit you are, man. That's It's beautiful. Lars, oh. did you even know PD and him were in a band together? We were. I feel like I remember PD saying something about it at some point. But, you know, I never did I hear the music. I, I would have tightened up Petey's look, though. I would have fucking <laughs> would have tightened him up. Bro, you know? Petey played shows in tracksuits, man. Like three striped <laughs> tracks. Run DMC. <laughs> they give a fuck. Comfort above all else. Fucking Limp Biscuit Petey. <laughs> <laughs> all right, listen. Done, we're done bashing Petey Williams. Uh, yeah, yeah. Rest in peace wherever you are today. Um but uh, Alex, thank you so much. You know, for but let me just say yeah. something before we end. Okay. So Williams, who lives in Michigan, is he in Detroit proper? No. Suburbs. Nobody, nobody. Well, that's not true now, but shit, dude, we're 40, right? So like nobody is in Detroit proper, grew up in Detroit proper. Yeah. He's close. He's my, point, my point is, is that he's calling me about how San Francisco is it safe for me to fly into San Francisco, right? And I'm just like, what the fuck do you think? You're f- fucking Detroit. I understand that you're Canadian, so, you know, my high school football team could take over your country. But Jesus Christ, like, you know, why are you calling me and asking me if, like, is that, is, I mean, the perception of the rest of the country about San Francisco is fucking ridiculous. They think that you're just going to die once you walk in here, you know? But anyways, I love you, Petey. I just wanted to bash on him one more time. There you go. 
All right. Well, for everybody at home, the podcast over, we'll say our goodbyes off the air. Lars Fredrickson, thank you so much for, you know, stop touring enough to do this podcast with me again. One more show and I'm done for the year, bro. Oh, nice. And Alex, thanks for hanging out with us. Hopefully one day we'll break bread. I know uh, I know two other uh, local wrestlers here who would love to hang out with you and I together. Uh, one PD and the other one's a Chris Saban. You probably never heard of him. But oh. uh, you're more than welcome to come break bread with us anytime. But thank you so much for hanging out with us. Once again, uh, Wrestling Perspective, rate, subscribe, download, do all that other bullshit. And uh, thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you later. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.